everybody, and welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests, those of you that are here in the room, as well as those of you online. So glad to have you with us. Hey, before we go any further, this is a special weekend here in America, and we want to take a moment just to honor all of our veterans. If I could ask if you are a veteran, please stand to your feet right now for us, everybody. Come on, jump to your feet. All across the room. Don't get to be shy. Thank you. Woo, come on. I think it's always important for us to remember here in America, we get to worship freely and safely. We have the freedom to do so, and uh, it is because of veterans, what you have done for us, what you do for us currently, what's been done for us over many, many years, and so we just want to say thank you. We're grateful. All right, well, with that being said, we are in a series uh, that we started last week. If you are new or looking at it for the first time, you can look at the wall behind me and tell, yep, the theme is finances. And so uh, the reason that I want to share, or the reason that we're doing this is because of something that I was reading in Scripture, and I want to share with you what that is, because it's the whole premise behind the series. I was having my own quiet, private, happy prayer time about a year ago, and as I'm reading through Scripture, I come across something that has nothing to do with money per se, but then I notice something Jesus said. So if you'll allow me to look at the screen here, the story says, while Jesus was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And it's such a beautiful story of the display of worship and putting no price on worship and how even symbolically she was preparing his body for death and burial, which was soon to come. And there, is, there are so many great things that we could preach about this story. But as I'm reading it, it got my attention that Jesus doesn't lie. And he says, the poor you will always have. You will always have poor people. No matter what you try to do, there is a problem among humanity. We will never solve it and we'll never eradicate it. There will always be the poor among us. And yet, the Bible tells us that is not God's plan for his people. It's not God's intent. Let me share this with you out of Deuteronomy. He says, but there will be no poor among you. There will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you. And so the idea behind this series is how to make sure we are not among the poor. Because you would ask, wait a minute, why does Jesus say there will always be poor, but God does not intend for there to be poor among his people? And the answer is very, very simple. There will always be people who do not experience God's intent because there will always be people who do not live God's way. Y'all get that? There will always be people who do not experience God's intent because there will always be people who do not live God's way. And that's what this series is all about, is looking at what God wants for our lives. He has an intent for our lives, which means he also has a way to get there. The good news is there is absolutely no part of your life that God does not care about. That's good news, isn't it? You can pray about everything. That also means then that God cares about every part and he has instructions for every part. There is a way to live in order to get God's intent. That's what this series is all about. We started the series looking at the first of three principles, principle number one, and not only did it come first, I think it's first in priority, I think it's first in importance, and that is to honor God. That is to just stop and say, thank you, God, for providing for me and blessing me and, and honoring him for who he is, the Father in heaven who blesses his children. We call it the tithe here in uh, the Christian world, so to speak, because it's a Hebrew word in the Bible where we honor God by tithing to him. 
And so I want you to know, if you were here last week and you were thinking, do I want to do the 90-day tithing challenge like uh, we talked about doing? Uh, we had almost 50 families sign up just last weekend alone. Come on, isn't that exciting? Almost 50 families. And uh, the main reason I'm telling you that is because if you were kind of on the fence, like, well, you know, I think I should or I want to, you know, one of the most encouraging things sometimes when taking a huge step of faith is knowing you're not doing it alone. So you will not be doing it alone. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I am not going to try to tell you right now. I'd rather you go back and get the whole message. It's online, it's on our app, because I think it's, it's so important that you get the heart of the message, that you get the heart of God's word and God's heart for why he would have us do that. So I'm not gonna tell you how to sign up if you haven't heard the whole message, and you can go and do that. Okay, with that being said, the second principle we're gonna look at today is the principle of being generous that God would have us to have the principle in our lives of being generous. You know, uh, I would like to think, and I like to say Grace Life is a very generous church. If you've been around here, you've noticed it's very hard to pay for most things. It, it, the coffee is free out there. I think it's good coffee. I don't really know. I think all coffee tastes like burned water. I don't drink coffee. So I don't know the difference between good burned water and bad burned water. Somehow y'all distinguish, but that's fine. But the point is, it's free. And, and if you come to our Thursday night service, the hot dogs are free and the chips are free and the soda's free. And whatever we do, if we do a meal, if there's ever food here at Grace Life, it's always free. I've always been a little baffled how churches will take up an offering, and then they take your money and buy spaghetti, and then they sell you a ticket to the spaghetti dinner. Don't y'all think that's a little interesting, to say the least? And so we, we've just always tried to be very generous. Matter of fact, we have 10 leadership culture codes that we have here, one of which is we are generous. And I don't really get any credit for coming up with the idea. Uh, I model this after one of my mentors who I think pastors one of the healthiest churches in America. And, and he taught me to, to be as generous as possible. Let's do everything we can to always be generous. Meet people's needs and show them our God in heaven is generous. And so, look, I, I'll be honest. I got to a place where I was feeling pretty good about myself. You know, look what we've done here. Look at, at Grace Life. Look how great it is. And I went to a pastor's roundtable. And another mentor of mine said, you know, just because your church is generous doesn't mean you are. Oh, shut up, man. I mean, that just hurt, you know? And the reality is, just because grace life is generous, it does not mean I am, and it made me take a look in the mirror, so I'm gonna let you take a look in the mirror. How generous do you think you are? And when I say that, I don't mean how generous is the church you go to or how generous is the nonprofit you volunteer at but you. Not how generous is the company you work for, you. Not how generous is your family or your spouse. Some of you like that your, your spouse is always trying to give away everything, and, and so you think you're generous by association. No, you're not. You. Not how generous are your parents, but you. Matter of fact, if you'll do this for me, we're gonna use this number later in the message. I'm gonna ask you to give yourself a rating, your idea of a generosity rating, somewhere between one and 10. 10 being the most extravagant, generous person you could ever come up with, or one being Scrooge is your brother. And so you choose one to 10, anywhere you want to be right there. Um, you know, because here's the bottom line for today. Being generous is one of God's principles for not being among the poor. And so let me show this to you. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. We're gonna be in the book of 2 Corinthians, 
And our main passage today actually takes up the majority of two chapters. The good news is I'm going to hit the highlights and jump around a little bit so that I don't have to read two full chapters to you and you don't have to listen to me read two full chapters. But we're going to start at the very beginning of chapter 8 and Paul is talking about some generosity among the churches. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. And I'm going to ask you to pay particular attention to the number of times in this passage today that you see the word grace or the words grace of God. Because this is going to be at the heart of us understanding why generosity matters to God. He says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And Macedonia for you and me today would be Greece. So modern day Greece, they have churches there. He says, in a severe test of affliction. That sounds like bad news. Their abundance of joy... Wait a minute, I thought they had a severe test of affliction and yet they have an abundance of joy. Hmm, I'm a little confused. And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now I'm thoroughly confused. Anybody else like this passage is utterly not making any sense here. Severe test of affliction, somehow they are filled with joy. They have extreme poverty and somehow they end up with a wealth of generosity. What in the world? It says, for they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Nobody had to make them do it. Matter of fact, they begged us, begging us earnestly for the favor, for the privilege of taking part in the relief of the saints. Let me explain the context because, you know, if you understand what's going on in a story in the Bible, it always is so much better and actually helps you apply it to your life. If you were here for our last series, we just did a series called The Church Jesus is Building. And we were looking at the opening chapters from the book of Acts when Jesus ascended to heaven and he left his disciples to begin to build his church upon the earth. And it started right there in Jerusalem, right where he left. And because they were in Jerusalem in the land of Israel, as these Jews started declaring Jesus was the Messiah, the Jewish religious leaders who didn't like Jesus started to persecute them and to oppress them. And they went around and told all the rest of the Jews, we will kick you out of the church. You will not be allowed to be here. It wasn't called a church, but you get my point. We'll kick you out of our religion if you do not oppress these Jesus followers, these lunatics who say that Jesus is the Messiah. You cannot shop at their stores. You cannot hire them. You cannot associate with them. And so we discovered that these Jewish people who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah, now believers, they were oppressed, persecuted, and they were suffering. They were hungry. They suffered poverty. So they began to take whatever they had at that point and to sell it and to share it with each other. Well, now we are quite a few years later in the story. The church has spread upon the earth as we see we're reading today about the churches that are being established in the land of Greece. So Paul and other missionaries, they've traveled everywhere. And so what is happening is they are taking up an offering to send it back to these people. Because at this point, these people have run out of things to sell. They don't have any more land. They have nothing else. At this point, they are simply starving. And so Paul has now been traveling amongst all the other churches that he started, as well as some of the others and the disciples, and, and they are actually going to say, hey, will you help them? They are suffering. And so now Paul's gone to these churches, like the ones in Philippi. We have the book of Philippians. Thessalonica, we have the books of Thessalonians, the Bereans. These are all in modern-day Greece. And he's saying, would you help the believers in Jerusalem who are suffering? And what you have to understand is, so are they. The name of Jesus and those who follow him are hated everywhere. They're all losing their jobs. They're all being oppressed. They're all being persecuted. And, and so these churches here in Greece, you would expect them 
to say, why, why are you coming to us, Paul? We're as broke as they are. We're as poor as they are. We're as hungry as they are. So wh why don't you go and give some money to them and then on your way back, take up another offering and bring it to us because we don't have anything either. Leave us alone. And you and I today, we would have probably said that. And you and I today would go, okay, I get it, I get it. I'm so sorry, man. I'll be back with an offering for you later. But they did the exact opposite. They said, don't you count us out just because we're poor, just because you think we don't have anything? Don't you assume that we can't give? You come on over here because we want to be a part of what you're doing to help them. And if you say, why? Well, Paul tells us in the very next sentence, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Then, by the will of God, to us, to the offering that we were doing, to what we were asking them to do. But first, they gave themselves to the Lord. They understood that every moment of their life was an act of worship to God. They belonged to God. And that was it. Whatever they did was because they were simply reflecting God's nature to the world and trusting his word to them. Are y'all catching that? They were reflecting God's nature to the world and trusting God's word to them. Now, the New Testament that you and I are reading right now, they didn't have it because it was being written about them as this is taking place. But they had promises from God's Old, Old Testament, from God's word then. There were things they would have known. So some of the things they would have known, it says one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. You see, they were reflecting God's nature, but they were also trusting God's word to be true. God, you said it, this is what you will do. They would have also known this one that says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. They would have also known that whoever is generous to the poor actually lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. So we're starting to understand why these churches in Macedonia are willing, even though they are poor and they are at the end of their resources, they're willing to give to help someone else because they understand they're gonna trust God to do what he said he would do and they're showing who their God is. So now what Paul is doing is he's going down the street to another one of those churches in the city of Corinth. It's where we get the books of Corinthians. And he's telling the Corinthians, hey, your neighbors, they're giving. And so he comes to them in verse seven, verse nine, he says, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. Are you paying attention to the use of grace? See that you excel in this act of grace also, which if you think about it, Paul, just call it giving. Paul, you're talking up, taking up an offering. Just say, look, you use the word faith, you use the word speech, you use the word knowledge. Why won't you use the word giving? Just tell them, excel in giving too. But he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Then he keeps going, for you know the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with that passage for a long time as I would read it in the Bible, and I've honestly thought it was just incredible poetry. I thought it was so poetic that it was hard to actually apply it to your life. You know, Jesus was rich, but he became poor, and now you are poor, but you have become rich. And as you read the verse, you don't feel like you've got any more money in your bank account. You're like, wait a minute, I'm not sure I kind of grasp all this. And what is this all about grace anyway? Well, I want you to know it's not just poetry and it's incredibly practical. So let me try to make sense of all of this for you. When we use the word grace, what we mean by grace is undeserved. Grace is undeserved merit. 
God doing for you what you didn't deserve, what you didn't earn. Undeserved favor, you don't deserve it, but God gives it to you. Undeserved blessing, it's all by God's grace. Everything we have is by God's grace. And so as he's talking about Jesus being rich and becoming poor, what we have to understand is what Jesus went through when he came to earth. In theology class, wherever you go, no matter what the school is, any theology book, whether it's Bible college, seminary, anywhere, when we talk about this experience of Jesus coming to earth, the heading in every book will be titled the same, The Humiliation of Christ. Because you've got to understand that he was, he was God in perfect heaven, with perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the host of heaven, perfectly worshiping. It was all perfect. And then he has to come to be humiliated to the degree of existing in a human body, actually having to eat and chew food and look for water when he's thirsty and, and sleep and get rest and what? And then he had to hang out with crazy people. I mean, thank God that we've got the stories of the early disciples and how much of a bunch of misfits they were and how God could use them. It gives us all so much encouragement. He can use any of us, right? But think back to his perspective. He's walking along. He's trying to change the world and save people. And his disciples are behind them arguing, I'll be greater than you. I'm going to sit at his right hand. Not you. You're going to sit at his left hand. No, I'll be greater than you. I mean, he's like, you can just imagine Jesus just, Daddy, how long do I have to stay here? You know, we call it the humiliation of Christ because he was rich Perfect world, perfect fellowship, rich in every way. And he was willing to take on human form and then to experience the greatest death humanity's ever come up with, crucifixion on a cross. So that you, in your poverty, you know what your poverty was? You had a list of debts in heaven called your sin. It was so long. You could have never begun to pay for it. And Jesus came and died on the cross. His bloodshed, his body broken, washed that list clean. And you went from being the greatest debtor to owing nothing. You want to talk about going from poverty to riches? It's called the grace of God. The grace of God in your life. You didn't deserve to have him pay for your sins. You didn't deserve to have Jesus die in your place. You didn't deserve to be forgiven. You don't deserve to go to heaven. It's all God's grace. By God's grace, it's all his gift to people who do not deserve it. And so Paul is not being poetic here. Paul is trying to get one across one of the most crucial truths we can ever get. I'm gonna put it on the screen so you don't miss this. And that is that our generosity to others actually reveals our understanding of what Jesus did for us. And when you get what Jesus did for, by coming from heaven to dwell among men, to live upon the earth, to die on the cross for you, your generosity to others is not about what's in your bank account. It's about recognizing what Jesus has done for you. It's the grace of God in your life. And that's what Paul has been saying to us. That's why he keeps using this word grace. He's connecting the dots for them. Everything in your life is by God's grace. Do you have God's grace in your life? You bet you do. You slept in a warm house last night. God's grace. You're not hungry, God's grace. You have a job, God's grace. You breathe today, again today, God's grace. You're going to heaven, God's grace. You're forgiven, God's grace. God answers your prayers, God's grace. You experience his presence, God's grace. You don't deserve any of it. 
And Paul is saying, when you've got so much of stuff in your life that you do not deserve all the way down to some pennies in your bank account, how can you not then convey God's grace to everyone else in the world? Because that's what this is really all about. When we are generous to someone, it's an act of God's grace. I am, I'm blessing you because I am blessed. I'm blessing you not because you deserve it. And maybe that's what we should talk about for a minute. Way too often we think we're being generous by giving someone what we think they deserve. You go out to eat, a waiter or a waitress waits on you, the bill comes, and you start looking at how much you're going to tip, and you're looking at how much you have, and you're trying to weigh what they deserved against what you have. Well, I don't have a whole lot. It was an expensive meal, and well, they didn't really deserve all that much. They didn't keep my tea glass full, and, and they got my order wrong, and when they finally got it right, and it was cold when they brought it to me, yeah, they don't deserve very much, so I'm not tipping very much. But if we do tip a lot, we think it's because they deserved it. That's not generosity. It's not generous when you pay someone for what they deserve. A kid knocks on your door. He's selling candy bars so that his team can go to the state championship. And you, you look at this kid and go, wait a minute, you practiced all season and you worked so hard and you practiced in the sun and now you've got the chance. You won enough games to go to the state championship. Oh, I'll buy a candy bar. You deserve it. It's not generosity. First of all, you get to keep the candy bar. You're just paying for what they deserve. Generosity is to share grace, undeserved, because you've, given, you've been given so much that you didn't deserve, and you convey that to someone else. Look, here's a perfect example. This time of year, uh, we do a thing uh, for Thanksgiving outreaches every year, and it's, it's to go and to provide a Thanksgiving meal to someone that maybe wouldn't be able to have a Thanksgiving meal if you didn't do it. And the way we come up with this outreach idea, we have some social workers who work with our school system and they, they have a list of, of people that because of what they know about is going on in people's lives, they tell us these, these people could use maybe a Thanksgiving dinner. And the intent for the outreach is to bless someone who needs a Thanksgiving dinner. But you do know that no system is perfect, right? And so every year, every year without fail, I hear this story at least once every year. Somebody comes to me after Thanksgiving and says, Pastor, there's a problem with that list. I went to take a Thanksgiving dinner to somebody, and when I got to their house, man, their house is twice the size of mine. I had to have a code to get in the gate. They had three new cars in the driveway, and one of them was a Mercedes. <laughs> First of all, none of us knows what's going on inside that home. But more importantly, maybe it's not a free turkey that they need. Maybe what they need is a demonstration of God's grace. You see, when you show up at their house and say, hey, I've been given so much I didn't deserve, I, I just want to share God's grace with you, so here is a Thanksgiving meal, and I hope it blesses you. They don't have to be starving and crawling to the door for us to convey God's grace to them. And that's why Paul explains in chapter 9, we're going to jump ahead in verse 7, he explains how this verse comes to pass. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You ever wondered, man, I, I don't know that I always am so cheerful when I'm giving. That's all, I'm, I'm trying to be obedient. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to give. I'm not very cheerful giver. Look, here's the thing. The, the cheerful giver does not come out of how much is in your bank. The cheerful giver comes out of, I am forgiven. I'm saved. I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven and walk on streets of gold. There's a day I'm not even gonna have to count money, man. See, the cheerful giver comes out of the heart that's received so much of God's grace that we are happy to share it. Our generosity to others reveals our understanding of what Jesus did for us. So that brings us to the principle we're actually trying to learn today. It's the principle of generosity. 
and why we need the principle of generosity in our lives if we're not going to be among the poor. And Paul explains this to us. I'm gonna share a couple of verses out of order, if you'll allow me, verse six and then verses 10 and 11. And Paul sums it up. I love how simple he is. He goes, the point is this, in case you've missed it for two chapters, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Because he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, well, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You don't get to quote that. You know, sometimes we quote half a Bible verse, get up in the morning, God, your word promises I'll be enriched in every way, so get to it, bless me today. Leave out half the verse. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's the principle of generosity. You will be enriched to enrich others. If you are looking around at your bank account, your life, and your circumstances, and you don't feel that you've been enriched, it might be because everything that's come to you has stayed with you. You give seed to the sower, not the keeper. If I can give you a picture, uh, my wife and I had the great privilege of, of going to Italy. Uh, it was her bucket list for, for many decades of life, and we know how it is. Happy wife, right? So, and I had to suffer and take her to Italy. There you go. But anyway, as we were in Italy, we spent about a week in Tuscany, and if you've ever seen pictures of Tuscany, many of us have the pictures on our walls because they're so beautiful. It is way more beautiful in real life than in the pictures you should go sometime. It's absolutely gorgeous. They've got all these beautiful little houses on hills, and they're all surrounded by these little tiny skinny trees. You know the pictures? And then it goes down the valley and then back up, and another house on a hill, and then down the valley and back up, and all these valleys are just beautiful. They're filled with either olive trees or vineyards or wheat fields or whatever. And that's what makes it so beautiful because if, if all you saw was mud in between, it wouldn't be that beautiful, but it is just house on a hilltop and then up and down and up and down, all these beautiful houses on the hilltop. And we were there, I told my wife, I said, I want that one, <laughs> that one right there. And I said, I wanna just sit and have fresh pasta made by an Italian chef and hang out by that pool right there and just look at that view in that beautiful but I don't want to do any of the work. I, I don't, I mean, it's beautiful because of the olive orchard, but I don't want to be out there picking olives and taking care of trees. I don't want to do that. I want to be laying by the pool. And it's beautiful because of that wheat field and that golden color, but I don't want to be out there dealing with the wheat. So I say, you know what? We, we should come here. We should get us a house, and here's what we'll do. Because I don't want to do any of the work, and I just want to eat lasagna and sit by the pool. I'm going to go and find some farmers that don't have their own land. And I'm gonna get a farmer and do this, this part right here. I'm gonna get another farmer and he's gonna do that part right there. And I'm gonna tell him, you can keep almost everything. You just give me a little bit to help pay for my pool boy and my chef because I need my lasagna in my pool, right? I want you to imagine if I actually had to do that or got to do that. So I go to this farmer right here and, and give him some seed to go and take care of the field and he does it. He goes and he plants and he grows a beautiful wheat field and he takes it to harvest. He takes care of his family, takes care of some people in the village, gives me a little to take care of the pool boy. I'm a happy camper. Am I gonna give him more seed? Yes, this is not a tough question, y'all. It's gonna be a real easy question. And I'm gonna come over here and I'm gonna get this guy. This farmer's agreed to do the same thing. I'm gonna give him some seed, but he doesn't do what he said. He goes and he puts it in the barn. Am I gonna give him more seed? No. And then over here's another farmer. He agreed to do the same thing. And I give him seed, but instead of going and taking care of that field, he doesn't even put it in the barn. He doesn't put it in the ground there. He goes over here and he puts it in the ground where I don't know about it, so he gets to keep it all for himself. Am I gonna give him more seed? Guess what? Neither will God. Because God's intent 
is to bless his people so that they will be a blessing to others. God doesn't bless his people so that they can become stingy. Matter of fact, I really need you to not miss how important this point is. When God created mankind, he decided, I want to have a people upon the earth. I'm gonna have a people. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will bless them. They will honor me. All the earth will see how good it is to be one of my people because all the earth will see that I am a good God. One of his original intentions was to have a people and to bless them so that all the earth would see and be blessed through them so that they would all come to God from the very beginning. So he goes to a guy named Abraham and he says, Abraham, you don't have a single kid, but you are gonna be the father of my people. And as he begins to tell Abraham his plan, here's what he says. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you don't get the first half if you don't know what comes after the so that, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. You see, it turns out that God puts his people on the earth to be a conduit of his grace to everybody else. That's what we're here for. He blesses us so that we can bless others. He does not bless us so that we can keep it all and be stingy. That's why generosity is one of the principles for not being among the poor. I got to see this happen this week right here in Grace Life, and, and God's just perfect with his timing. Every time I'm preaching on something, if I need the perfect story, there it comes. And so it, it just happened this past week. I've got a friend of mine who is from Malawi. He's Malawian, obviously, and he pastors a church in Malawi. And that's very tough to do because Malawi is the eighth poorest country in all the world. And he's been leading this church for longer than I've been leading this church. And I've known him for a very long time. And he was set up every week in a hotel lobby or anywhere that he can find that they will let him host his church service. And he's been waiting forever, over a decade, just to get permission. You have to get permission from the government to be able to buy some land. And so he waited over a decade for the government to say, we finally have a piece of property we're willing to let you buy to build a church building. The price tag was over 30,000 US dollars. And so this little congregation of church people in the eighth poorest nation in all the world, they, they came and they did all they could. They gave everything they could give and it was a fraction. Would have never been enough to do what they needed to do. And so we let some of our folks here in Grace Life know about the need. We've got some uh, communications that go out to some missions things. And so one of the families here at Grace Life read about it and they saw there was a deadline. The government says, you gotta do it and you gotta do it now or it's gonna be gone. And we had a family here at Grace Life wrote a $30,000 check so that they could buy this land. You see, God blessed this family here at Grace Life. They said, well, we had the money. It, something happened. It gave us the money to have it available, and then we saw the need, and we gave it to the need because it was available. God blesses his people to be a blessing to other people. God doesn't bless his people to just keep it all in a barn. And the result of it all, well, it's what I got to see happen was a look on his face it says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Yeah, they're gonna get to eat when I take the offering to them, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by their approval of the service, they will glorify God. When people see the grace of God coming into their lives through God's people, they say, praise God. Because so many times people lift up prayers, a half-hearted prayer to a God they only halfway believe is there. 
But when God's people show up, boy, they're convinced all of a sudden, wow, you're really there. I got to see the look on this pastor's face when I called him this week. I wish you could have seen it. You know, Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive, and maybe you've wondered, how is that true? Watch the look on somebody's face when you do something. The look on his face to know they could never meet this need. They were never going to be able to meet this need. It was a miracle prayer from the beginning. And to hear not only did our church provide it, but just one family, one family in this church. You should have just seen it. Praise God. That was the answer. So the question for you and me today is how do we put this into practice in our lives? What do we do? How do we become generous? And the first thing I want you to understand, the most important truth, if you forget everything else, take this away. Generosity comes from your heart, not your money. Generosity comes from your heart, not your money. The reason that I said that was the perfect story and God always brings the perfect story, you may have thought, wow, a $30,000 check. We must have some, some wealthy people, some millionaires here at Grace Life. Yes, we do, but those were not the ones who wrote that check. I'll be honest, I'm not perfectly aware of this family and their financial situation, but I've known them for a while, and I know the cars they drive, and I know the job he does. And I'm just gonna tell you, they're as normal as you and me. They're just normal people who I assure you could have done a lot with $30,000. But they understood it. Generosity comes from the heart not from your money. It's not about how much is in the bank. It's about being in touch with what Jesus has done for you in your heart and knowing the difference it can make to someone else when they experience the grace of God. And that you can't put a price tag on. That you can't compare to what your bank statement says. Generosity comes from your heart, not your money. Jesus taught this. If I could share this story with you, he, he decided to take his disciples' people watching for a day. He sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow, poor, not in the sense of feel sorry for this widow, but actually poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. So they put in a lot, but it was actually a little. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. She's going to wake up tomorrow and say, I trust you, God. So she put in a lot. So I want to close by challenging you. Don't wait to be generous. Stop planning to be generous when. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, I can't wait for that promotion, then I can, I can be generous. Well, I can't wait for when we pay off the mortgage, then we'll be able to be generous. And my favorite one, come on, raise your hand if you've ever said this. If I won the lottery, I would. Come on, who's honest with me? If I won, we think it, if I won the lottery, I would. You wanna know the truth? No, you won't. No, you won't. Because generosity comes from the heart. And the heart you had the day before you had the winning numbers will be the heart you have the day after. 
what we actually all dream of, if I could be honest. And it's a good dream. It's only a dream, but it's a good dream. We all dream of extreme generosity. We all think, boy, I would love to go back to my high school and write that big check and Man, I'd love to go to my church and write that big check. I'd love to go to that family down the street and buy them that car. I'd love to. And we all dream of extreme generosity. Extreme generosity requires extreme ability. You can't write a million dollar check if you don't have a million dollars. Come on, y'all know what I'm saying? Extreme generosity requires extreme ability. The problem is God only gives that ability to those who are generous when they have almost no ability. It's what scripture says. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. We think that Bible verse comes in the other direction. We're waiting. After it's given to me, then I'll give. After it's measured back to me, then I'll measure it out. We're waiting to have extreme ability to be extremely generous. But God says it goes the other way. Be generous with little ability. And I'll increase your ability. Because I'm just looking. I'm looking down upon the earth. And all I am trying to find are conduits of grace where it doesn't stop with you. I'm looking for people that I can bless and it keeps going out to the world. And when I find people and I bless them and it keeps going and people glorify my name, then I put more right there and it just keeps going. And that is why the principle of generosity is one of God's principles for his people not being among the poor. Because if you're one of God's people and you've received so much grace and every time you get blessed, you only want to take care of you, the fountain dries up. It's the principle of generosity. All right, so let's go back to where we started. Remember that number you gave yourself? If you gave yourself a 10, I hope everybody around you scoots over just a little bit. But I think most of us at least have room for improvement. Whatever number you gave yourself, here's the practical thing I'm gonna challenge you to do this week. Very practically, ask God to show you one opportunity, just one, to be generous, to be a conduit of his grace to this world. And don't look for how poor they are. You see, sometimes you go to lunch with a coworker, you've never offered to buy their lunch because you know they make twice what you make. But maybe it's not so much a free lunch as it is an act of grace that they need to experience. So ask God to show you one opportunity, and maybe it will be a need. Maybe God will ask you to go down to the grocery store and to look for a single mom. She picks up something off the shelf. She looks at the price, and she puts it back. And you get to go up and put that back in the cart and say, no, 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 I've got this. You let God show you, but if you want to see your number go up, ask God for one opportunity this week to demonstrate his grace to a hurting world. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. We come before you and acknowledge everything we have is because of your goodness. Nothing we did to deserve it. Matter of fact, we deserve just the opposite. We deserve to pay for our sins. We deserved eternity. Pain for what we've done wrong. But you 
You brought your grace into our lives and you paid for our sins for us. You forgave us. You redeemed us. You blessed us. You gave us life in one of the richest nations upon the earth. You, you give us material blessings. You give us financial wealth. God, you are so, so good. Your grace is so abundant. We talk to you, we just say thank you. And we worship you. You stay in a place of prayer. I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The truth is, I think the most generous act in all of history was when God gave his son to die in my place and yours. The truth is, every single one of us has done something unholy, something that separated us from God. The Bible calls it sin. But the good news is, God did love you so much that he demonstrated that incredible generosity. He sent his son to live a perfect life upon the cross so that when he died, when his blood was shed and his body was broken, it could pay for your sins and mine because he had none of his own. And by the same power that raised him from the dead, you too can be raised to eternal life. It's what we call the free gift of salvation. And if you have never received that gift, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you you died for me and so now I choose to live for you I thank you that you love me I thank you that I'm forgiven my simple prayer here today would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom amen would you all help me celebrate with them everybody